We are living in a digital world, but what does the term digital actually mean? Paul Roerg is currently the head of strategy at Cognizant, and he joined IT Visionaries to dive deep into that question. Plus, he discusses what the future of work looks like and why we shouldn't fear automation and robots. Enjoy this discussion. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have on the other line, Paul, what's going on? Hey, how you doing, Ian? You know, it's a great day, as we mentioned. I- I'm excited to, to talk today. Uh, Cognizant is one of the world's leaders, and-, and we're really excited to have you on to talk digital strategy. But before we get into that, we have, we have a little bit of table setting, and I want to know, how did you get into technology in the first place? Oh, that goes into the Wayback Machine. Um, I got into technology actually through music. Um, I was was for quite some time, I was a professional musician and I got into uh, electronics. And I was also into education and then went through my graduate program and then started working for big technology services companies because it was interesting. I loved uh, at the time and still do how technology has become more and more essential to really every business process, every human experience. Um, But my roots are linking uh, sound and people and using technologies uh, even, even back then uh, to make, to make music and to, and I was became really interested in, in how, computers and new systems at the time could could help people learn. And, and that's how I got in. Wow. What did you play? What instruments did you play? <laughs> uh, I used to be, I used to be a drummer. Oh, awesome. That's great. So next table setting, what is digital? Why digital? How, what do you think of the role of, you know, chief digital officers? Um, you know, you have digital in your title. What is, you know, cognizant digital? Why, why the, uh, why the D word? Yeah, why the D word? That's a good one. Um, I think we needed the D word. We needed the digital world word because so many things changed so fast. So when you think back to, you know, even 2007, which wasn't that long ago, right? That's when the iPhone came out. Um, our expectations of how technology ought to work really began to evolve at a super rapid rate. So before that, we had PCs and we had mainframes and we had mini computers. So we had quote unquote, digital technology, but the expectations of what that technology could bring to our personal lives and our business lives went through a a tremendous shift. And so we had the rise of of cloud computing and the rise of social social platforms and uh, and AI and all the new stuff that happened so fast. Um, We needed to call it something new. We needed that word to modify a shift from an old economy to a new economy, uh, what the World Economic Forum calls the fourth industrial revolution, 
It's based on technology. So the word was really important. Um, how long it stays important, I don't know. Um, it does seem to be like that's evolving somewhat, right? We're, we're getting next to the idea that these technologies are front and center to how experiences are changed and how value is created. I don't know how long it sticks around, but but that's what that's what you know. At least I think about uh, as you rightly call it the D word, uh, and and how long we'll be you know continuing to use that as a modifier. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think the huge shift is about you know always thinking digital first, and that's kind of the huge the huge paradigm shift is like, you know, you think about this with all of your employees about, you know, all of your architecture, all of your, you know, customer relationships, everything now is digital first because you have to have a digital experience of some kind. You know, I'm curious, you're an analyst for Forrester, you know, back, uh, back a little while ago. I'm curious, like, what was your experience like then? And then, you know, looking at it now, how would you kind of change um, some of the things that you were researching? Um, uh, that's a really good question. So, you know, I loved being an analyst. I thought it was it was great fun. It got uh, I came to Forrester from uh, Hewlett Packard, uh, where I was, you know, working on you know big services deals, and uh, so I knew a lot about Hewlett Packard, but I didn't know a lot about you know, deeply know about the broader industry. And so I had a research background uh, and, a, and a technology services background and Forrester helped me pull those pieces together. And it, it taught me, they taught me, um, you know, and there are some great analysts there and, and other firms too, that really know how to ask good questions and write in a way that people can find value from it. Uh, and that, that was great. From a content perspective, the, the stuff that I was covering was really, if I were going to say it simply, it was like, how do you do, how do you get value from a big technology services deal? So if you're a manufacturer or an insurer or a bank, there's a lot of potholes that you can step in on the path to getting a solid, healthy you know, engagement in place with an external partner, provider, service provider. So all of the questions that I asked, whether it was around infrastructure services or how do you write a contract or what's a, what does a good deal actually even look like, um, that allowed me, the being announced allowed me to pull all those pieces together and help help people. I mean, ultimately, the goal of, of being a good analyst is to try and help people make better business decisions. And and so that was a, that was a heck of a lot of fun to be able to say, here's here are the best practices. Here's how companies are doing things uh, well or maybe less well. Here's what you should look for as you try to, to go down this path of creating a, a, a partnership, right? And the best deals really are creative partnerships so that value can be delivered at the end and it's not an exercise in futility. And, and so, so that was... Um, kind of the, 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 the axle of the content that I, that I worked on. And, you know, you asked what would I change of that? I don't know. I think a lot of those lessons still hold true today. You know, the technology has certainly changed and the role of technology, like we talked about around uh, what does digital mean anymore, that's certainly changed a lot. But the idea of healthy partnerships between companies, that stuff is timeless. And so kind of flash forward to today, what, What's your scope of responsibilities for being head of strategy of the Cognizant Digital Business? 
So Cognizant Digital Business, it's comprised of, of several practices, right? So we have an interactive practice that helps manage marketing services uh, and putting content in contexts uh, all around e-commerce. So there's a, a whole lot of um, uh, solutions now that are built uh, on the Adobe platform. So our interactive business comprises those kind of offerings. We also have an IoT practice um, and then we have uh, software engineering. So if, you know, Mark Andreessen famously said that software is eating the world. And, and the way I like to put it is, you know, smart business leaders are taking a bite back um, by using software as really the entry mechanism to every new technology. It's how we experience the digital economy is through software. It's code. So if you've got beautiful software, the, either in the middle or back office where you're, you know, people might be processing claims or um, doing revenue recognition, it depends on your industry. But if you've got great software that people don't hate, and then you've got consumer experience-based software that creates you know, huge amounts of value and, and feels a lot more like LinkedIn or Netflix than an old ERP system, then you're you're able to access the value from the digital economy. So we have our software engineering practice um, focuses on exactly that. So how do you modernize your existing software and how do you build new software that's, that's beautiful and engaging and frictionless? And then we have AI and analytics, which, um, you know, people, people like to say that data is some kind of, you know, natural resource, whether it's oil or water or air. But the fact of the matter is that software in the modern economy doesn't work without huge amounts of data that are well managed. It has to be, they have to be, the data has to be configured and modernized so that you can draw meaning from it and then build business value from it. So there's no company in the Fortune 2000 that doesn't have a ton of data, but everybody's struggling with what's the right data, what do we do with it? And then how do we apply artificial intelligence in a way that is, that's smart, that's near term, that's not trying to build what I call a God bot that solves all problems for everybody all the time. It's how do I apply AI to this process or this experience? And that's how uh, value is getting unlocked today, not five or 10 or 15 years out. So our AI and analytic practice does that. We apply AI for operations and for consumer experiences. We modernize data. So we need to be much more aware of how these things are evolving over time and how value propositions change and how is the market landscape changing and what are people looking for and so on and so forth. So that's my role right now. And are you working with customers every day? Are you, you know, what's what's your day to day like? Are you working internal on stuff? Are you working on, you know, how the how the product, how the how the services actually shape? Like, I'm curious, um, you know, how much how much time are you with customers? Well, I'm with customers all the time. Um, I'm a strong believer that you know, strategy that isn't constantly tested against the real world is a, it's a pretty risky bet to be honest. Um, so you can have interesting ideas and, and that's important as well. And you can try and kind of orchestrate the construction of a good strategy based on data, but it's, it's, um, like Mike Tyson used to say, right? Every, everybody has a plan until they get hit. And I think it's important to take those ideas as soon as possible to, to test them in the market, right? So being with clients, trying to understand deeply what, is, what are the problems they're trying to solve? Is what we're delivering 
or hoping to deliver in line with what they see as valuable to them. That's how I see my role is um, I, I can orchestrate strategy internally, but it doesn't get real and it doesn't get, you know, I would say even good. It doesn't get to be a really good strategy unless, you know, clients and prospects, industry observers look at it and hear it and say, that makes sense. That's exactly what we're looking for. So in terms of my day-to-day role, it's a, it's a great role and it's a, it's a great job within Cognizant because I get to balance both of those uh, aspects that you noted. Some of it is internal, um, working with our teams to try and figure out, you know, what's working, what's not working, but also taking the new messages, taking the value propositions into the market and getting to meet with clients and, and hear what they have to say. I mean, part of, uh, part of good strategy in my mind anyway, is based on listening. So being able to listen to clients and then, and then connect that back into the internal work, that's what I see my role as. You know, you spent a bunch of time working on some really interesting books and, and a really interesting kind of entrepreneurial project. You founded and led uh, Cognizant's Future Work Center, and then you wrote, wrote two books, I kind of want to just from a high level first unpack, like, why was it so important to build the Center for the Future of Work? And what was what was kind of your your thought process in bringing this thing uh, to the company? Yeah, this. Uh, so our point of view when we founded the Center and uh, and Malcolm Frank, who who was the head of strategy and marketing at the time, and now he heads Cognizant Digital Business. You know, he's a he's a you know a fantastic leader, very forward thinking, and he understands very well that in the modern economy, the best ideas that help people understand how to navigate that shift. Right. So if you buy the theory of the case that we are now at an inflection point between where you know traditional industrial economy models are under under pressure based on the rise of, of new digital technologies and how they're deployed uh, more and more, we are at this, this interregnum between S-curves, right? So we're moving from an old model to a new model where more and more value is created by code, by analytics and software. So being in that space, historically, it's a period of intense disruption and there are problems and, uh, and companies rise and fall. And, and you can see that playing out in the market every day, right? And anytime you, you know, click on a news, news link or even pick up a paper, if you still do that, you can see companies are succeeding or failing at a tremendous rate right now. And that's all within the context of shifting between an old model, an S-curve, and a new model, a new S-curve. And so Malcolm you know, credit to him because he saw ahead of really anyone that a company that could have, that could provide guidance on how do you manage that and how does work change as these new technologies take on more and more of a central role to value creation. And he, that's when he and I said, look, we could, we could build that. We could build that, that group to really explore that and bring that to to the world, really, to, you know, to our clients as well as everybody, right? That's why we wrote the books and did all the videos. And it's because we had these ideas, we did the research, we did the analysis, and we really, um, and we talked to people because Malcolm saw that that was really what was going to be important to help our clients the most, bring them a good idea, set of good ideas, help them 
navigate through this shift between one S curve and another and orient on work being done. So that was really the, the background and the justification for building out the Center for the Future of Work. It was good fun. It's still good fun. I love that. And I love that um, to put someone in charge of it and to build a framework around it and build something enduring, because I think that a lot of times companies struggle to figure out how they're going to formalize some innovation practices and, you know, not put dedicated headcount on it to be able to think and strategize and, and build an organization around it. Did you, did you kind of feel like to have that little, you know, you know, quote unquote, startup within the company was important to bring in new ideas, to bring in innovation, um, to look at other things that other companies were doing and startups were doing to be able to kind of, uh, you know, help drive something that might not have have been there before. Well, I'm biased, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, you know freely admitting my complete bias that, yeah, I did all of those things. But, um, but I think, you know, if you step back and look at it, you know, or try to a little bit more objectively, if you look at how Cognizant has evolved, how Cognizant has continued to be, you know, at or near the head of uh, the pointy end of the spear of how companies are evolving to make technology more essential to how they conduct their internal businesses as well as their consumer facing activities. You know, I think the the center, you know, help paint the path, you know, not just for Cognizant, but even more importantly for our clients, right? How, what should they be thinking about? What is the future of work? What, what do they do about jobs? How do you think about deploying artificial intelligence? What, what is an enhanced worker? What does that even mean? Um, those are, those are, were important questions when we started talking about them and there are still important questions and keep, keep pushing the envelope. They keep going out into what is the future of enterprise work um, because it shifts. You know, we talked a, a little bit about being between S curves. I mean, that's the, the center for the future of work continues to be, um, you know, shining a light, you know, down the track to see what's coming. You know, it's, it's funny. I think some organizations might call kind of, you know, some of that stuff content marketing um, from a standpoint of, you know, getting, getting those thoughts out there into the world. You know, I, you, you spent a lot of time and effort on writing, which is something that, you know, obviously we as a, as a media company find extremely, uh, you know, both rewarding personally, but also necessary to be able to get those thoughts onto paper, to be able to um, publish something that that is enduring, that lasts, that helps, you know, shape kind of, you know, the future. I'm curious, like, what, what was it like writing those things? Um, you know, had you written before? Uh, was this something that was, uh, you know, an exciting thing, an awful thing, somewhere in between? <laughs> well, by, by asking the question that way, you already know the answer, right? Some of it's, some days it's exciting and some days you're just wondering like, what did you do? Um, but I want to go back to, is it content marketing? I think that's important, right? And that's a, that's a legitimate question is, is this, isn't it just marketing, right? Dressed up marketing. You know, I think the only way to really answer that is to look at the content and then determine, is it, is this just sales talk, right? Is this just fancy you know, sales talk, or is this trying to have a good idea to drive the company and drive clients forward? And I do believe there's a risk of, of any of these, 
kinds of initiatives, right? You know, any big company setting up kind of a thought leadership engine, there's a risk of being an ivory tower where you're not listening to what people are saying back to you from the market. There's a risk of, you know, is this just more kind of grist for the marketing mill? But I think if you look at the content, and I think that, you know, and it's still the case, when you look at the content and you ask yourself, is this a, a sales brochure or is this an idea? If you use that as the kind of the barometer of where, what this stuff really is, yeah, of course we want to, you know, position Cognizant well. But the real way to do that is have the, the best idea and the best story well told. So, I mean, you'd be, have to be pretty cynical to call that, you know, pure content marketing. Um, but that's the real goal of the, of the center is to, is to open conversations, to open minds, open conversations. And even if we're wrong, right, even if we write something that turns out to be, you know, wrong in two years, at least we've tried to shine a light towards the future. And more importantly, shine a light with people we want to serve. If it doesn't do that, then yeah, it's probably, then you've fallen back into content marketing and you're not really thinking about what is the future of work. But you're, you're also your, your question about writing is, is important also. It's like, because that's how, how we communicate those ideas. The writing process, you know, like when Malcolm and Ben and I work together, it's, it's really very collaborative. It's very, um, you know, just personally speaking, it's one of the most uh, exciting things I've done professionally. Uh, it reminded me actually of what it was like when I was a musician. It's like you're really collaborating. You're working with people that you trust. You can, you, everybody's making mistakes. Everybody's helping each other. But it's the same theme that the center has, um, the way that Ben runs it and the way I, that I used to run it and the way Ben runs it now. It's, it's all about orchestrating that collaboration, being able to bang ideas off of each other and say, look, I don't get this or I think that might be wrong. And, and with a, when that's part of the writing process and people feel like part of it and they feel like there's, you know, they're working with people that they trust and everyone's trying to do the right thing. That frees up the, the really bold idea to, to emerge. And that's, that's how the books came out. That's, I mean, Code Halos came out because, you know, the three of us just kept looking at the, all the research and all the client meetings we were having and, and the stuff that we were producing. And it was just like, there's something bigger going on, you know. And in 2013, when we wrote Code Halos, it was still a little bit theoretical, Right. We, it was starting, but it, nobody had pulled all the pieces together and said, hold on, this is, this is really big. This isn't just new technology. This is, a, this is a massive secular shift in how economies work. And it was like, oh, my God, we, we have to tell that story. And, and that's how the books got started. You know, it's funny you say that. We, um, you know, obviously, we talked to a lot of CIOs and technology leaders. And I think there's a lot of folks that we've talked to that would love to be able to do that. But the pressures of the day-to-day responsibilities of, you know, being the CIO kind of prevent them from getting that, getting those thoughts out there. I mean, it's part of the reason why we do the podcast is like, you know, folks can come on and, and share their thoughts in an hour and, uh, and get some of those ideas kind of into the wild that they've been working on. But, you know, just don't have the time to hammer out a, hammer out a blog post, let alone, you know, a book, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think it's really, it's just really cool. And I also think that, you know, to get into the content a little bit, you know, we recently had on um, the team at UiPath on talking about, you know, RPA, 
I'm extremely fascinated by RPA, by robots, by AI. You know, from a high level, I think we all know that this is going to change how businesses operate, how employees work and all of that. You've talked about in the past, um, fear not the bot, 21 jobs of the future will require human skills and sensibilities. I'm just curious, like what, what's the state of, uh, why should people, you know, not, not fear the bot? I think on this show, uh, I think pretty much everyone listening to this show is not afraid that bots are going to cha- change jobs. I think we know that it's augmented intelligence, but um, but yeah, what, what are you, what are you optimistic about? What are you excited about for, uh, for all those things? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that's it. And that it's, it's funny. I mean, what you just, the question you just asked led to why did we write, uh, what to do when machines do everything? Um, because you know, it you can see like in the rear view mirror, it all looks completely obvious, but when we wrote it, it was still a little bit like, are we sure this is going to happen? Um, but it gets back to, you know, if you look at the media, most media, right? Not, not, I mean, I would, I would say the populist media, you know, there's an overwhelming sense of fear right now around technology. And it's very difficult. In fact, it's almost inhumanly possible not to get caught up in that. And so we're left with this, this zeitgeist of fear around, uh, you know, and, people coming out saying, you know, 47% of jobs are going to go away. And Elon Musk is like, you know, the bots are going to be more dangerous than, I don't know, black holes floating around. So it, it, you just left with this sense of, oh my God, you know, if I'm not afraid, I must be wrong. And, and that's a bit unfair, right? And because I don't think it's true. And we talked to, you know, a lot about this and what to do and machines do everything. Uh, and then later on, Ben and, and the crew put, a, get, put together, you know, a series of research reports on 21 jobs of the future. It's not, you know, unrealistic, but it is more balanced, I would say, because then you would, you could legitimately say, well, okay, you guys are a technology company and you're saying technology is going to be fine. But the truth is, it's not all going to be fine. And it's not all going to be fine for everybody. And that's what we talked about in machines. So we're very open and honest around some jobs will, will go away, right? If you're doing work that's highly routinized, data intensive, um, that knowledge work that's not leveraging what humans do really well, things like curiosity, creativity, empathy, judgment, machines don't do that well and they won't do it well anytime soon. So if you're doing a job that, that fits those criteria, then you, know, you could be staring down at a pretty rough decade. But all the other work, which is most of the work, is liable to be enhanced by new technology. So if you're afraid of that technology, right, then it's problematic, right? If, it's, if you're constantly resisting, you know, electric blenders or electric lights uh, or digital technologies, then chances are pretty high that you're going to end up on the wrong side of things. And that, that's, a, that's a real realistic risk. But if you're open to these things, right, if, you're, if you double down on human skills working with technology, then the, the modern economy could be really fantastic for you because you're going to have the right mindset. You're going to have the right skills. You're going to be able to not just be RPA'd away, but you're going to be able to be more productive and, more, and add more interesting human elements to the work you do. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of meaning packed into that. It's like, we shouldn't fear the bot. And also, please don't fear the bot because learning to control technology and manage technology, just as we've done throughout history, right? We learned how to manage cars and we learned how to manage 
electric lights and we learn how to manage electric washing machines. We changed our skill set and we adapted to these new tools and systems and overall things got better. You know, it's a horrible uh, lack of imagination to think that in the modern economy, we won't have the same, the same kind of processes emerging. And that's yeah. hopeful. No, I, I, I mean, I 100% agree. I mean, we, we talk about all the time, like, it sounds silly looking back on it now, but this same exact thing, rinse and repeat every 10 years, and it's not to be insensitive to the lamplighters, right? Like, those were people that were providing for their families that learned a skill um, and honed their craft at at doing that, you know, in New York City back before electricity. Like, that was a real thing. And I think that what people kind of miss is that you can have empathy for the people that or for those jobs that will be lost because there absolutely will be jobs lost. But the net creation of jobs are better because lighting lamps for a profession is not ultimately the most rewarding thing for a human being that has, you know, a, a superpower for a brain. So I think that some of that stuff is kind of, I think, lost in translation because mm-hmm. We don't know what the electrician of the future will be, right? Like they didn't know that a lamplighter will just become an electrician and that that person's going to get paid a lot more and have a better living. Um, and I and I think that there's a lot of that stuff that we just kind of forget. And at the end of the day, like, you know, a lot of the stuff that robots do is in its very nature, repetitive, mind-numbing tasks. Um, that's a good thing. We should get away from those. No, you're spot on. You're spot on with that. And I think that is, I think that's a song of hope, right? To steal a line from Robert Plant. I mean, overall, if you adapted to the new machine, you learn the new skills, life got better. You know, and we've been having this debate for 2000 years, right? Around new technologies. Socrates, you know, 2000 years ago, 2300 years ago, argued with Plato against the use of the written word. So <laughs> That's he, crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, his, and his assertion would, it would make us dumb, right? It would create forgetfulness in the learner's souls. So he thought the written word was a bad idea because we wouldn't have to memorize everything. And you'd have to, again, you know, you'd have to really be super cynical to think that the written word had not helped uh, society, helped humanity. And, and you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more, Ian, that, that this is playing out again. And it, but it is up to us to exercise agency. Yeah. And the thing and the thing that's exciting about this is that now with businesses at the forefront, it's actually a benefit to your company building the ecosystem. You know, Salesforce is is the awesome, you know, sponsor of the show, but you look at like what they did for Salesforce admins, right? All of these people are working on our product. We need to have an army of admins to support them. Therefore, we're going to start, we're going to create Trailhead. We're going to do all this stuff to create admins because we need to create an ecosystem around that. The thing is that like companies now can build, you know, the ecosystem of the support elements. Like UiPath does all of these, you know, RPA boot camps and they teach people how to, how to use robots. I mean, there's so many things like that where, in the early days of technology, you're teaching, uh, you're building an ecosystem, that supply and demand marketplace of people who can use your services. And if companies, the companies that are best at that will build the most robust ecosystem. I mean, look at how many episodes we've already done IT Visionaries about building developer ecosystems. I mean, like, you know, there's a reason why all those companies do that and will continue to do that for a long time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, and pl- the platform companies, like whether it's Salesforce or another kind of, you know, 
you can't even say Uber platform anymore, your mega platform. Those platforms are, you know, the essential, you know, all of it rests on the foundation that those, those large platforms create. You've got companies like UiPath that are, they're applying, you know, RPA in really smart, very focused, very targeted ways. You know, we talked about that in, in, in machines and, and, you know, the center continues to talk about it. We continue to do that work with Cognizant Digital Business. And so um, all of these pieces are coming together, you know, and I think you're exactly right that, um, you know, that is a song of hope. The future, you know, for people that exercise agency, that recognize, you know, we are driving, right? They're, the bots are not driving, it's us. And if we keep our hands on the wheel of our or our personal careers, our companies, this could be great fun, right? It's abdicating responsibility for winning and being successful, thriving, being relevant in the new economy. That's where, you know, that's a pretty risky bet. All right, let's get into lightning rounds. These questions are fast and easy, just like the lightning platform from Salesforce. Lightning fast employee experience. You can go to salesforce.com slash employee experience to learn more about the Lightning platform. And it's fast and easy, so you should check it out. Just like these questions that are going to be fast and easy. Paul, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? That is the most fun? Yep. Uh, uh, Actually, the phone. The phone app on my phone is the most fun because I get to talk to my wife and my kids. That's that you are the first uh, for that. That's great. Um, what about uh, favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Oh, favorite book. I've got a bunch of favorite books. Uh, Shoshana Zuboff's uh, the, the Age of Surveillance Capitalism must read. Fantastic, horrifying. She just pulls a ton of data and insight and analysis together to talk about what is, you know, what is the future uh, of, of, of business and technology and society. Really liked it. What, uh, what are you most excited about? Uh, what technology are you most excited about uh, for the future? I think we're at an inflection point where we're ending an era of fear around technology. I hope we are. That's the most exciting part is that the dialogue is going to begin to shift, or I think it already is starting, but I think it will continue to shift away from the bots are coming and it's going to turn into terminators and we're all going to, it's the end of the middle class and we've reached peak human. And I think that's just nonsense. And I want us, I'm excited about the opportunity to put that period of history behind us and begin to figure out what are the best ways to deploy these new fantastic machines in ways that add value, that create healthier companies, healthier societies, healthier careers. Uh, I think that is super exciting. What would be your best advice for a first-time CIO? First-time CIO, you're going to get yelled at a lot, right? And it's going to be about, I mean, that's just, that's what you're signing up for. So you're going to get yelled at about a lot of stuff that matters less to the business. And so the best CIOs, I, I would argue, should be able to bifurcate their work and how they view the world. There's go, you're going to get yelled at when the email systems goes down. You're going to get yelled at when somebody hacks you, you know, whether it's a, somebody in a garage somewhere or it's you know, a foreign, you know, foreign power. But the important part of technology is f- that you have to run the business, but changing the business and being 
adaptable to to have a tribe of uh, and Ben wrote a great blog on two tribes of IT. Um, definitely check it out on the Center for the Future of Work site. Um, the CIO that can manage both of those communities, the the people that are you know managing infrastructure, managing security, all of those things are must dos. But the other set of must dos are how do you apply technology to drive growth, and that's you know more and more of her job is going to be around balancing those two pieces. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I think there's a question that I've gotten asked once or twice, but not, but I wish I'd get asked more about why should we have, why should we be hopeful? Why should we be hopeful? Well, it's, I mean, look at the questions that you've asked. I mean, and you get to talk to, you know, really smart people all the time and you're hopeful. I can tell by the questions that you ask that, you know, you see there's a, there are potential risks um, to technology, right? And uh, I, I mentioned uh, Zuboff's book, right? It's a very dark book. I think we're, we need to recognize the, the truth of that. Um, but I do think that there's, there's another story there. I'm very hopeful about humans, right? Humans throughout history, we've, we've shown ourselves to be, you know, flawed, but we also have a great degree of creativity and, and compassion. And, and I think I take hope, I take hope in that. Paul, this has been absolutely awesome. Great having you on. We got to have you back. So many insights dropping Socrates, uh, lessons, uh, <laughs> lessons learned in here. Um, but, uh, anything to plug any, uh, any final thoughts? No, I just, uh, I hope everybody listening, uh, you know, first of all, has, you know, get, get something out of it. Um, we have loads of content. Uh, we'd love to talk to you, right? Um, you know, if I'm um, easy to find, you know, hit me up on, you know, LinkedIn or any other channel. Happy to, happy to chat and continue the conversation. And thank you, Ian. This, uh, it's a great set of questions. Really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to doing it again. Talk soon. Thanks very much. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform.